AgriTalk is brought to you by Case IH. Solutions for every challenge, equipment for every farm. Case IH, built by farmers. And by propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. And by Grounded. Spray smarter and improve herbicide performance with Grounded, a multifunctional adjuvant from Helena. We are going to take another look at the priorities in the Senate. We're looking for optimism that we can afford another kicking of the can down the road on the spending issues. And we will get a reaction from an ag banker to yesterday's Fed decision. And finally, some ag leaders are getting serious about fighting ESG. Live from the month of Davis via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This morning, we begin with a conversation with Senator Roger Marshall from Kansas. Then it's Nate Franzine from First Dakota National Bank and later Texas Ag Commissioner Sid Miller. I'm a handsome newsman, Davis Michelson, and now the host of AgriTalk, Chip Flory. And the buildup begins. Oh, uh, yeah, that baby. That's it is. The yeah, month, what it is. The month of Davis. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. We're still like three weeks away from the big Davis Day, right? That's right. That's right. And it, but it is a leap year, so you get 29 days of Davis this year. You're welcome, planet <laughs> Earth. Huh? Uh, uh, what is the deal with people with February birthdays? I don't know. You know, I cool think people. you and I know another one that makes it a full month. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, she turns it into a full month celebration. There's no question about it. That's right. That's right. Uh, and there's also someone there. I don't know if you know. Joe might not even know this. I do share a birthday with another uh, member of the Farm Journal broadcast stable of stars. I won't say who right? it is. No. You you won't say who it is? I will Will not. you tell me off air? Yes, I think I will. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Welcome huh? to AgriTalk. I'm Chip Flory. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think I've got it right. February 22nd? You got it, baby. That's it. There it is. There yeah, it is. George Washington Davis birthday. Day. <laughs> <laughs> love it, love it. Yeah, that's it. we we will be looking forward to it all month long. I'm sure. As will I. I'll make sure yeah. of it. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. All right, we've got a great show. Uh, Senator Marshall is is uh, coming up next. We'll get another take on the farm bill and what the progress is. And we've got some other issues that we want to talk about with okay. Senator Marshall, things like uh, foreign ownership of us farmland. We're, we're going to bring that right to the top and then labeling, labeling issues. We're going to, we're going to talk with Senator Marshall about that as well. Mm-hmm. Nate Franzine up in South Dakota. will have a conversation about what's going on with the fed and, and the messaging from Powell And then wait until uh, the conversation at the end of the show. I've already had it. I talked with Texas Ag Commissioner Sid Miller earlier this Mm -hmm. morning. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're kind of fed up with some of the banking. uh, You can't call it rules and regulations, but you can call it directives that are are out there that are, are driven by ESG, environmental social governance. Oh, yeah. So uh, they're taking it seriously and looking for some real answers from the big banks. And I mean the big banks. Okay? So we'll get the details of that. All right. You got some news for us? I sure do. Lawmakers in the House of Representatives yesterday launched a new Ag Trade Caucus. 
The effort seeks to advance and promote policies vital to U.S. agriculture, including boosting agricultural exports, facilitating food and ag trade, and knocking down unnecessary trade barriers. The caucus includes Republicans Adrian Smith of Nebraska, Dusty Johnson of South Dakota, and California Democrats Jim Costa and Jimmy Panetta. Now, the caucus, Chip, to me, just feels like, a, you know, we got the Freedom Caucus. we got all these caucuses with yeah. our own little. This one has got Republicans and Democrats working together. Right. This I like. Well, yeah, and and <laughs> what it is, I think, I think, I think, and, and we, we should get uh, somebody from the caucus on. Yeah. But more than likely, they're looking at the the lack of a trade policy from the Biden administration. I'm not saying that that's the case at USDA. They've mm-hmm. got the trade missions that they are are efforting, and I think there's some mm-hmm. good coming out of those trade missions. But when it comes to an overriding trade policy from the Biden administration, I think what the, this caucus is saying is we're missing that. We need yep. that. Yep, agreed. Well, soybean oil used to produce biofuels in the United States held at 1.062 billion pounds in November, according to the Energy Information Administration. That marked the seventh straight month in which soy oil use for biofuels topped 1 billion pounds. Chip, that's something that hasn't happened prior to May 2023 at all. Yeah, yeah. It it looks like 2023 bio-based diesel production. Uh, is going to be over four billion gallon yeah. in 2023. That's a that's a good number, a big number. Well, Chip, globally, parboiled rice export prices from India extended their record rally this week, driven by tight supplies and firm demand due to higher prices from other exporters. And Chip, rice is one of those things. I mean, you just have to have a, a steady flow of rice, right. affordable rice. In fact, it's a staple. Yeah. It, it, yeah. it is a staple that a, <laughs> a lot of the mm-hmm. world lives on so it's got to be there well tip eu leaders agreed on a 54 billion dollar support package for ukraine after months of obstruction by hungary earlier this week european officials and leaders reportedly threatened to harm hungary's economy to put pressure on its pro-russian prime minister according to the national chicken council's 2024 wing report americans will devour (laughs) 1.45 Billion wings while watching Kansas City win the championship trophy. <laughs> National Chicken Council spokesperson Tom Super says, quote, sure, you can have your chips, your guacamole, your pizza. But when it comes to menus next Sunday, wings rule the roost. This year's projection is flat compared to 2023, with USDA reporting chicken production levels slightly down from last year. Wing stocks in cold storage down about 13% in November compared to the prior year. And finally, Chip, USDA estimated 87.157 million head of cattle in the U.S. as of Jan 1. That's down 1.9% from last year. Beef cow herd dropped 2%. The 2023 calf crop was estimated down 2.5% from the previous year. Total herd smallest since 1951. Chip, last year's calf crop, the smallest in 82 years. The smallest in 82 years. Yeah. And, And we feel like the... There are some that feel like, well, the industry has to be getting past this supply side issue. It's nowhere get even close mm-hmm. to getting past yeah. these supply side issues. Now, that cattle inventory report, it's good to get an update of where we stand right now. But they also look back and say, listen, are there any numbers out there that we need to revise? 
we're moving further away from rebuilding the beef herd, okay? Because USDA revised the January 1, 2023 cattle population down 433,000 head. 411,000 of that 433 was in the heifer category, specifically the replacement heifers. USDA cut beef replacement heifers 233,000 head and dairy replacement heifers 263,000 head and other heifers headed to the feedlots were revised up by almost 86,000. These are huge. They're, they're trend changing kind of revisions that we're dealing with. And just the simple fact that we apparently are moving the rebuilding phase further and further down the timeline. I think that's part of the reason that we've got the the live cattle market is is moderately higher today, but the feeder cattle market is often running more than two bucks higher hmm. today. So it's that understanding that the calf crop is is going to be smaller going forward is is there. Get more at www.drovers.com We've got Senator Marshall next here on AgriTalk. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. My mom's got a new case IH tractor, and it can do it all. Bail hate all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Ship like a race car? Steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out CaseIH.com. Go on the offensive against weeds with Antares Complete from Helena. Antares Complete eliminates early weed competition with long-lasting residual control of broadleaf weeds and grasses. With a balanced premix of three herbicides, Antares Complete combats herbicide resistance and helps soybeans achieve a faster, more vigorous start to the season. Take a tactical first strike against weeds and protect your soybeans early with Antares Complete. Always follow label instructions and check registration before use. Contact your Helena representative to learn more. Join us in Orlando at the 2024 NCBA Cattle Convention. Don't miss U.S. Farm Report host Tyne Morgan's live taping with industry experts February 1st at noon. Be part of the live audience at the Chuckwagon Cafe number one. Welcome back to AgriTalk. Glad that you're with us on this Thursday morning. Wow. Um, U.S. Senator Roger Marshall from Kansas joins us right now. Dr. Marshall, Wow, thank you so much for making time for us this morning. How are you? Well, 
That's a good question. I kind of feel like I've been smashing my head against the wall the last three or four months, but I signed up for this job. Where's that Chuck Wagon Cafe restaurant? Where, what city is that in? <laughs> That's down in Orlando at CattleCon down there. So, yeah, Tyne is probably getting set up and ready to go right now uh, for that big uh, for the big meeting at noon at, at the cattle convention, the NCBA convention down there. So what's on the agenda for the Senate today? Well, not much. We're treading water. We're doing nothing but nominations. What we should be doing is addressing our southern border. We should be trying to figure out how to balance the budget. So I'm pretty disappointed. We're not doing much of anything today. Shouldn't Senate Leader Schumer be bringing forward some of the bills, the appropriation bills that have already passed out of committee? You know, it is that simple. So go back to July 27th, July 27th. The Senate Appropriations Committee passed all 12 of their buckets of funding out. He, d- he let us do three of them, but since then he's, he's totally stopped the rest of them. What he's after now is an omnibus. He wants to package yep. these all together, then he'll rewrite the appropriations bills to build his bridges to nowhere. It couldn't be more frustrating, let alone let's, take, let's secure our southern border, which is the number one concern for folks back home. Okay, as long as you're talking about that, I, 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 every time I see a comment from the White House or from President Biden right now that uh, about pass us the, you know, Congress needs to act, and then he'll turn around and say, listen, I could shut it down right now because of the laws that are already on the books. Which is it? Yeah, exactly. Uh, this is the hypocrisy of this White House is he has the authority to shut the border down right now. Basically, we went from averaging under 1,000 people a day under President Trump to 10,000 people a day under Joe Biden. 10 million people have come across the border illegally under his watch. So he has the authority to do it. Uh, you know, the thoughts were here that we could, we would even press more laws to tighten things up. So, for instance, uh, people call, uh, asking for asylum right now. They ask for asylum. They wait in the country now for five, 10 years for their court appointment. So we were hoping we would find a process to every person basically remain in Mexico, send them back to Mexico, give them a quick hearing and, and then make the adjudication because less than 10% of them actually qualify for asylum. This is, uh, would, would, would help solve 50% of the problem. And then the last point I'll make, we could talk all morning about this, is the president's abuse of parole. Yeah, the president's abuse of parole. Under Barack Obama, President Obama paroled 5,000 people per year, 5,000. This president, Joe Biden, is paroling 700,000 people a year, breaking the law. So that's what my fear is, that, that even if we write the laws, if it's the wrong person in the White House, they'll continue to break the law. Specifically with the parole, he's supposed to be doing this on an individual basis, a case-by-case basis. He's paroling tens of thousands of people at a time. So it's frustrating. Yeah. So the impeachment proceedings with uh, Homeland Security Secretary uh, Mayorkas, what is the ultimate goal here? Is it to get him out of office? Because if he is removed from office, Senator, what concerns me is something somebody worse could come back in. Well, certainly he is the uh, the puppet of Joe Biden. He's doing what he's told to be doing. But regardless, the job of Congress is to hold the the executive branch accountable. And Secretary Mayorkas has broken his oath. He's broke the law. He's not enforced the law. 
So he should be impeached for those very reasons. And, and it sends a message to the White House as well. And, yeah. and truly, American sentiment, public sentiment can help drive that process as well. But our job is to hold them accountable. Americans want uh, something done on the border. And this is one step that we can do. OK. All right. Uh, Senator, it was on this show a few weeks ago that you raised the likelihood that work on the farm bill would likely push passage of the farm bill until after the 2024 elections. Is that still the timeline that you anticipate? It, it is. Uh, we are living, moving from crisis to crisis up here. We, we, I've not heard the word farm bill mentioned anywhere except on ag radio stations for the last six months. Nobody up here is talking about it. Uh, the country's okay. broke $34 trillion in debt, um, trying to find the money to put farm back in the farm bill. My friends across the aisle want us to maximize funding for the nutrition programs, which I'd like to do, but they don't want to have any increased funding for crop insurance or the Title I ARC and PLC programs. So we're at a standstill. Okay. In the meantime, we need to continue to push forward on some other ag-related issues. Tell me about the FAIR Act. Yeah. Well, the FAIR Act is, is about labeling. Yeah. Um, I think it's very un unfair to go in and see a soybean-based protein in the meat locker at the grocery store and to label it as meat. Consumers shouldn't have to sit there and try to figure out, is this a black bean burger or is this from American beef or not? So we want fair labels. And using the word meat, I think, in, implies that it's from, um, from you know, it, it's a chicken, it's a turkey, it's uh, cattle, it, it's pork, those types of things. The same way with, with uh, you know, almond milk, almond juice. I love going to a Starbucks and, and my wife likes an iced latte with almond juice in it. And I'll order that, and they'll look at me and say, "There's, we don't have any almond juice, sir. And I'll say, well, yeah, it's right there. It's right behind you on the counter. They say, oh, no, that's almond milk. So, no, that's almond juice. And um, <laughs> now, by the way, I don't buy my own. I won't. I would refuse to pay five bucks for a cup of coffee. But my wife, I guess she, she does deserve it. Ford been married to me for 40 years. Um, but, that, but that's the story. We just want fair labels. We don't, we don't want yeah. Americans to have to sit there and sort out, is this a protein is this protein from soybeans? Is it from a bean? Is it from American-grown beef? And there's support for for the Fair Act on both sides of the aisle, right? Yeah, I think I think there is. I think that that there's folks from uh, both sides as well. Uh, typically, it's more of a re Republican issue, to be honest. Yep. We'll we'll manage some support from the other side as well. Very good, very good. Another issue that needs to be addressed, and I, I got to tell you, I was in an airport uh, a couple of weeks weeks ago, struck up a conversation with a very nice couple, and the first thing that they wanted to talk to me about when after they asked what I did, the first thing they wanted to talk to me about was foreign ownership of U.S. farmland. It they are not involved in farming; they're from a rural area, but the, it it was the number one thing that they brought up, Senator. Interesting. Well, certainly, I think we, we're taken for granted, but food security is national security. Food security is national security. And what we're seeing is an acceleration of foreign entities, specifically the biggest concern is the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, coming to America, buying American farmland. But even more than that, it's up and down the food chain where they're, where they're purchasing food, uh, meat processing plants as well. Uh, and then stealing our intellectual property in so many ways by working at our ag-centered universities as, as well. 
Um, and my, my frustration is the federal government has no idea. So even though they're charged with keeping track of who's buying what and where, they're not. At the end of the day, they're not implementing the law. So we're holding them accountable once again. And by the way, only about 20% of the federal workers up here in D.C. are back in their offices, 80% working from home. So it's no wonder when my farmers go to FSA and they're, they're hardworking folks there at their local offices doing their job, but then their loan application or whatever it is sits on the desk uh, on a computer, of course, uh, here at somebody in D.C. as well. So um, we're very concerned about just how much land the Chinese are purchasing, but where they're purchasing it next yeah. to some of our military bases. We want to hold them accountable. That, that okay, owning farmland is, is one thing. Owning farmland in the proximity of some of those military bases, as they have attempted to do, that's got to set off red flags everywhere, right? Yeah, yeah. You think next thing China's going to do is float a hot air balloon across air the nation <laughs> and take pictures of our military bases. But that could never happen, would it? No, no. I tell you, what are the, what are the odds that, that the FARM Act, the Foreign Advisory Risk Management Act, will, will get traction and, and get consideration? Right. And just to explain to your listeners what that does is elevate the Secretary of Agriculture to a committee called CFIUS, which evaluates uh, foreign investments in American, whether it's land and anything, to say, is this a national security issue? Um, it's zero chance, if the, to be frank, if my, the Democrats control the Senate and the White House. Agriculture is not a priority to these folks. They don't take commu- uh, China seriously. So uh, zero chance unless there's a change in the White House and who controls the Senate. Elections have consequences. Yes, they do, sir. Yes, they do. Thank you so much for your time, Senator. <laughs> okay. Hey, sorry to make this so political today. Um, the there is bipartisan is. work going on up here. And there's, there's plenty of bipartisan work going on up here, but it's a little bit of a struggle today. So thanks for having Absolutely. me on. Good stuff. Time for Markets Now with the experts from ProFarmer. Joining us now, ProFarmer editor Brian Grady. Man, I'm looking at the markets here for first time in a while, and, and the pressure's getting a little heavy in, in soybeans and soybean meal. Yeah, so uh, interesting. Uh, the soybeans, uh, the double-digit losses there, uh, some of that's tied to the weekly export sales number, which was a marketing year low and, and well below what was anticipated. So um, some fundamental pressure there. But uh, the meal market, uh, we had really strong meal sales, and uh, and yet it's trading 5 $6 lower here at mid-morning. So uh, both of those markets are, are under uh, pretty solid pressure. And, and weighing on corn, though corn is trading uh, about a penny lower, but uh, – near session highs at the moment and, and some of that is coming from the uh, the wheat market uh, it has poked its head above unchanged and, and trading with slight gains here at mid-morning yeah it it's not like everything has kind of moved away from influencing another market but it's, it's like corn beans and wheat are kind of all doing their own thing today right yeah, um, you know, corn's kind of caught in the middle. Wheat's trying to push to the upside. Yeah. Soybeans obviously moving to the downside. So we'll we'll see. Uh, start yeah. of a new month. So this could be uh, pretty critical the next uh, couple days here, uh, you know, today and tomorrow in particular right. as we finish up the week. Right. Big rally in feeder cattle. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, seeing a, a strong move to the upside there. Uh, some of that's probably tied to the, the earlier weakness that we saw in the corn market. Um, you know, the cattle inventory report yesterday, uh, which has an influence on, on feeder cattle, uh, showed uh, more contraction and, and that contraction is going to continue. So we're going to have a smaller calf crop again as we move forward here through 2024. And then uh, the hog market uh, pulling back a little bit this morning with sharp losses in the deferred contracts. Good stuff. Thank you, Brian. That is Pro Farmer Editor Brian Grady on Markets Now. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. My mom's got a new case IH tractor, and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Ship like a race car? Steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out CaseIH.com. Go on the offensive against weeds with Antares Complete from Helena. Antares Complete eliminates early weed competition with long-lasting residual control of broadleaf weeds and grasses. With a balanced premix of three herbicides, Antares Complete combats herbicide resistance and helps soybeans achieve a faster, more vigorous start to the season. Take a tactical first strike against weeds and protect your soybeans early with Antares Complete. Always follow label instructions and check registration before use. Contact your Helena representative to learn more. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. The chickens have come home to roost. Find out whose fence they're perched on today on AgriTalk. Davis, you know what? I'm going to have to. Uh, we're we're going to have to continue down this path of having some senators on the show. Uh, based on on what Senator Marshall said there at the end, that there are some bipartisan things that are happening up there on the Hill. Right, right. Uh, well, it's like I said with that caucus. You know, the word caucus kind of gives me the creeps, but, you know, you throw bipartisan in there, maybe we'll get something done. All right. Uh, yeah, I do like that. I, I, yep. I, I like that approach to it, but we'll have to find out what some of these bipartisan things are. Uh, no question about it. Sure. All right. Nate Franzine is the president for Ag Banking at First Dakota National Bank. He joins us right now. Nate, it has been too long. Welcome back to AgriTalk. Thank you so much. It has been too long. Uh, Really a pleasure to be with you today. Yeah, glad that you're here. Glad you're here. So let's just start with the basic question. We had no change in monetary policy, uh, at least on the interest rate side, the Fed funds rate from uh, announced following the FOMC meeting yesterday. Uh, not really a big surprise there, but what are you taking from it? Yeah, I think the biggest things to take from it are, um, you know, listening to Chair Powell after the uh, yeah. the statement was released and really getting a flavor for where the where the bias is with all of the Fed governors on that committee. And I think what we took away from that is, you know, I think they're anxious to start to lower rates. They want to start to lower rates. 
but rightly so they're uh, they want to make sure this inflation is uh, where it needs to be and and I think the worst thing they could do is is jump the gun there prematurely and uh, and and see another spike in inflation and so um you know, they signaled that uh, rates most likely will come down later this year. Uh, the other thing I took away is they 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 hinted that uh, the next meeting in March is probably not when rate uh, uh, re reductions right. are likely to happen. So I think those were the those were the takeaways. You know, certainly as we look at data coming out between now and then, things can change and always do. But but I think that's where their heads are at today. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that he mentioned here was. Uh confidence the confidence level of the fed governors that that the inflation rate has you know that inflation has been beaten um what what are we what what kind of signals do you think that they're looking for to gain that confidence yeah i you know i i can't pretend to be in all of their minds uh sure. although that although although that'd be fun but i would tell you <laughs> I, th I think I think where they're at is, you know, if you look at purely the inflation data, we've got about six months in a row now of data that shows inflation is moving where they need it to move. Matter of fact, you know, a lot of the monthly numbers are below their two percent target. So that I think gives them confidence that that we're going the right direction. Um, I think the things that are giving them some question or maybe interrupting uh, confidence a little bit is, you know, the we still, as economy, continue to grow quite strongly. Uh, the labor market continues to be quite strong, and so, you know, I think those are things that they see, and 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 probably has them saying, uh, we want to be careful here because uh, if we jump the gun and start dropping rates uh, when the economy is still really strong and uh, employment and wage growth is still really strong, there is a there is a risk of inflation rearing its head again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there are some that question the legitimacy of the economic reports that are out there. I'm not going to do that. I, I'm not willing to do it. But we do deal with some revisions to past data as as we're going through. I'm looking at the jobs data in particular, Nate. Uh, we get another jobs report tomorrow. And I think everybody, yeah, we're going to look at the headline numbers. But you go to the revisions just as quickly as you go to the headline number anymore, right? Yeah, you know, if you think about it, we've got a, a gigantic economy, right? It's it's the largest on the planet. And so, you know, obviously there's a lot of complication uh, that comes with that. Lots of moving parts, lots of noise in the data. And uh, so, so I think that's just part of what we have to deal with. You know, myself, you know, I... I over the last few years, you certainly hear from people that like to poke at the the Federal Reserve and the and the Federal Open Market Committee, and oh, they dropped the ball. They should have raised rates faster. And, and you know, and, you know, if you're a Monday morning armchair coach, that's easy to say. But if you're in that room having to make the decisions real time with the data you have at that point in time, you know, you you do the best you can, and you know it's not perfect. And right. I, I think that's that's really what we're up against and always have been. But, you know, we're just coming out of such an unprecedented time where we've seen things that are so uh, extraordinary, you know, whether it's pandemic, whether it's, uh, you know, unprecedented fiscal stimulus coming out of our government. Well, I mean, there's just all kinds of things creating 
new noise that's not normal. And right. you know they have they have the dubious job of trying to make sense of all that and 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 set policy yeah. around it. Well said. Well said. I've been saying on the show for quite some time, Nate, that I'm not sure that the old economic models work in this recovery economy that we're that we're dealing with. And I think it's still a recovery economy from the shock that the pandemic was. Right. There's no doubt about it. I, I, uh, you know, if you just stop and think about it, just just imagine you were uh, at a New Year's Eve party, uh, um, you know, in uh, uh, 2019, right? And somebody told you, in the next two years, we're gonna we're gonna have a, a pandemic. We're gonna have a Russia Ukrainian war. We're gonna have China and Russia align even tighter than ever. We're gonna, you know, the things we've went through in the last three four years. You, you talk about black swans, uh, but we've had you know four of them stacked on top of each other, and so it's really really is unprecedented. And so so that's that just makes their jobs that much more difficult and. You know, personally, I, I believe in light of all of that, I think I think they've done about as good a job as you can. Okay. All right. You know, in the comments from Powell, and I, I was trying to pay as close attention to him as I could, and it's not like he made the irrational exuberance comment like we got from Chairman Greenspan back in the, the mid-90s, but he was clearly telling the markets to lower expectations on rate cuts. Um, it, is that the right read? I sure think so. I yeah. sure think so. And, and, and quite honestly, that's refreshing to me. You know, I, I've been, you know, so so if you think about it, it wasn't that many months ago and we, we expected rates to continue to climb. And so the fact that the market sentiment flipped so fast and then when it flipped, it expected, you know, four or five, six drops in, in 2024 you know, in my mind, that was unreasonable anticipation by the market. And I think I think he's appropriately saying, hey, yeah, we, we're going to start lowering rates, but but, uh, you know, we need to be cautious here and it's not going to happen, happen uh, that fast. And and to me, to me, that's just reasonable. Um, you know, one other thing I would just say that I think is good perspective. Um, you know, those of us that have been around a long time, lived through the 80s, watched what that was, uh, you know, et cetera. This rate seems high and it feels high. Yep. And, it, and the reason it feels high is because we got here so fast, it moves so fast. But we have to, we can never forget that we are coming from a time when rates were unprecedentedly low, right? I mean, yes. we, that was not normal. You know, where we came from is was not normal. Having rates near zero and money, uh, you know, the cost of capital just so cheap. You know, that, in my opinion, that's not a healthy environment either. So I, I feel like uh, we had to do what we did and we've done it. There's a little pain with that, right? Inflation yep. and, and higher rates. Uh, but if we if we take our time here and settle back down some, but not, not anywhere near where we used to be, I think that's a good spot for some equilibrium and a good spot where, yeah. you know, our economy can function well and borrowers can pay a reasonable rate, but savers can also get paid something so that, you know, yeah. the money is worth something again, right? Yep. Yep. Tell me this, Nate, and, and uh, since you brought up the 80s, it, the, the collapse of the ag banking system just intensified that farm crisis tenfold. Uh, it seems to me like the ag banking system is in pretty good shape right now. Is Do I have the right read there? 
Yeah, yeah, I think for sure you do. Um, you know, that said, I would tell you, um, you know, when rates move up as fast as they did the last 18 to 24 months, you know, that impacts everybody and banks aren't immune from that. And, and, and that's why we've saw a few bank failures, right? When, when banks uh, are doing things aggressively um, and, and putting all their chips uh, on a certain scenario, and then the scenario flips rapidly, uh, there, there can be some real pain with that. And so you're seeing, you're seeing some of that, uh, that, but I would say where you're seeing it, it's more outliers than the norm. Um, profitability is going to be squeezed a bit for, for many banks in this environment, just because rates move so fast, it, it takes a little time for things to adjust and, and spreads to adjust. Um, that said, uh, the vast majority of banks, uh, especially ag banks in rural areas, are very well run, um, are diversified, and have the cushion to weather the bumps that come with a rapidly moving interest rate environment like we've just experienced. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Good stuff, you know, and, and we've only got about 30 seconds left here, but I'll say this, Nate, one of the things that we look at to judge the, to kind of gauge the health of the ag economy is farmland prices, and and boy, they're still pretty stiff up in South Dakota, aren't they? Uh, yeah, uh, remarkably. So quite honestly, if you've asked me, uh, uh, even, even six or 12 months ago, as fast as rates were going up, I just expected to see these land prices cool off a bit and they just haven't. And, uh, maybe they will a, a little bit. Um, I certainly don't expect crash, but, but, uh, yeah, you know, it's not normal. Right? That's right. That's right. Nate, we need to have you back on man. Common sense right there. Good stuff. Thank you. Yep, great to be with you. Thanks All right, there. Nate Franzine, President for Ag Banking, First Dakota National Bank. Coming up next, ESG and banking, and I mean the big banks. We're going to talk with Sid Miller, Texas Commissioner of Agriculture, next here on Agritalk. My mom's got a new case IH tractor, and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. Sand in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Ship like a race car? Steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out CaseIH.com. Go on the offensive against weeds with Antares Complete from Helena. Antares Complete eliminates early weed competition with long-lasting residual control of broadleaf weeds and grasses. With a balanced premix of three herbicides, Antares Complete combats herbicide resistance and helps soybeans achieve a faster, more vigorous start to the season. Take a tactical first strike against weeds and protect your soybeans early with Antares Complete. Always follow label instructions and check registration before use. Contact your Helena representative to learn more. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. 
We've cleared the schedule for you. Give us a call at 855-482-5524 and join the conversation. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm your host, Chip Flory. Okay, on Monday, a group of 12 state ag commissioners and secretaries sent a letter to six of the largest banks in the country that are part of the, get this, Net Zero Banking Alliance. Iowa Ag Secretary Mike Nag signed the letter. So did Texas Ag Commissioner Sid Miller. And Commissioner Miller joins us right now with some of the details. Commissioner Miller, welcome back to AgriTalk. Well, good morning, guys. Good to be back with you. Glad that you are here. Net Zero Banking Alliance. This must be a group of banks that is allowing uh, decisions to be driven by ESG, the Environmental Social Government Governance Principles. Is that right? That's exactly what, what it is. Uh, you know, the, these banks got together. They're trying to please the, you know, the, the climate uh, environmental group and uh, you know, that's why they joined this. I guess the reasoning would, I guess they want to go after the business of those, uh, uh, you know, that, that types of organizations and businesses, certainly not to garner the support of the agriculture industry. Right. Well, and not only that, now the banks that are included in this letter, the Bank of America, Citigroup, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan Chase, Morgan Stanley, and Wells Fargo, the big of the bigs, the big of the bigs here. And you know, it's not like those banks may not do a lot of direct lending to farmers, but they support regional banks that do a lot of lending to farmers. And these ESG principles could determine who they make a loan to or not, correct? Well, of course. I mean, that's that's the whole crux of the of the problem. Uh, it certainly when it, you know, out here in the in the real world, in, in the agriculture world, which is pretty large business last time I looked. <laughs> Uh, we we use a lot of money and a lot of financing to to produce the world's food, fiber, and fuel. Uh, I think it could, you know, I think it's a real bad decision. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the the lending is is part of the issues, but we've got to be looking over at Europe and some of the protests that are happening there, and some of the the quote unquote reforms that are happening to agriculture, and looking at that and saying listen that, that that's not going to fly here in the u.s right well i don't know uh biden you know he put in his 30 by 30 plan the first week he was in office and that's to take you know 30 percent of our land out of production by the year 2030 of course that's just phase one phase two is a 50 50 plan the european union are way ahead of us uh and that's where this uh net zero banking kind of falls into that same category uh, the European Union voted to, uh, you know, implement the 30 by 30 plan. We've seen protests in, in the Netherlands earlier when they, you know, tried to, out, you know, make them stop using nitrogen fertilizer. Mm-hmm. But what really pushed them over the edge is when they tried to federalize all, you know, 50 percent of the farmland. Well, the farmers revolted and o- overthrew their leader over there. Sri Lanka uh, did the same thing. They outlawed nitrogen fertilizer and uh, the farmers revolted and overthrew their government. So now we're seeing it all across Europe, France, Germany. You see these huge tractor cades, protests. Uh, the, the farmers are going broke over there because of governments basically strangling them. And part of it is uh, is things like this net zero banking, where yeah. they're you know trying to stop methane emissions and and uh, 
you know, nitrogen fertilizers and, and uh, all kinds of crazy stuff that we need uh, essential to the agriculture industry. Right. Who's behind the net zero banking alliance? Well, I think it's, it's, it's the climate people and, and people that want this, uh, uh, you know, 50 by 50 plan implemented. Uh, mm-hmm. They want to actually, and this will do it. They want to reduce world population uh, and, you know, by controlling the, the food source. So uh, yeah. we've, you know, we've got to push back against this. It's, it's not good. Eventually, they, their end goal is, is a one-world government, socialist government, uh, where, where the people are dependent on the government. Hmm. Goodness gracious. Okay, and now, yeah, you know, I can hear or I can see some of the non-farming listeners of AgriTalk saying, okay, this is a farm issue out there, but take a burger or two off of their plate and the consumers are going to notice because the U.N. has already expressed an ambition to significantly cut meat consumption in order to fight climate change. And I'm sure that that's a concern in this letter to the banks as well, right? Well, it is. And it's, it's you know, it's not, it's not just the banks. We're targeting the banks on this one because they're specifically trying to do the net zero banking. But you've got uh, companies, well-known agriculture companies like Tyson Foods and ADM, Archer Daniel Midland. They both, uh, about a month ago, each invested $500 million in two different startup companies to produce insect protein. Uh, you know, eventually they want to do it with animal agriculture and, and get us on uh, insect protein. I'm not I'm not for eating bugs. I don't think I'm ever going to go there. I'm a kind of a beef guy, but uh, it's real. I mean, you can go to the grocery store now and buy insect protein. It's uh, we <laughs> better wake yeah. up, and pay attention to what's going on around well, you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and we're and on on one hand, we're talking about food security here in the country, but we're also talking about national security issues, and we need to continue to spotlight that before these reforms, like we're seeing in Europe, get us get more of a foothold here, right? Well, well exactly, and and I, I hope it all fizzles like the the fake meat, the cultured meat. You know, that was all the craze, and was a lot of. A lot of companies invested in, in uh, uh, you know, that lab-grown meat and Beyond Meat and Beyond Burgers and all of that. They've kind of, uh, you know, lost their investment on that. It's, it's worth about 25 cents on the dollar now. So hopefully this net zero banking, these these other other plans by the U.N. to change the, the agriculture industry globally, hope it falls away just like the, uh, you know, the fake meat did. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm sure glad that you and other ag secretaries and commissioners put your uh, put your name on a letter and send it off to those banks. It needs to be highlighted, uh, Commissioner. Thank you so much for doing that. Anytime. Just remember, Texas agriculture always matters. We're going to fight for that. Amen. All right. That is Texas Ag Commissioner Sid Miller. Thank you so much for listening this morning. Come back this afternoon. We are going to be talking about the livestock markets. Got that cattle inventory report to talk about with Lee Schultz from Iowa State University. That's this afternoon right here on AgriTalk.